Blood in my system Money in my head Mama making ends meet Working like a slave Hello and welcome to I Don't Get It, the pop culture get up my blonde cast, featuring the open-minded musings of two mid-40s curmudgeons staring down the prospect of entertainment irrelevance. Why don't you just tell me the name of the movie you want to see, Noah Tarno? You are, you are, you really sound disengaged right now, Bill. Uh, we should be engaged. We have, first of all, I think this is an interesting topic. And hello, podcast friend. Hey, it's good to be back. It's great. You. It's always great. By the way, I'm I'm yeah. your co-host. One of two voices you're hearing. My name is Bill Scurry. I'm the founder of American Caesar Enterprises, which is a traveling carnival with hundreds of unaddressed safety violations. And I am joined, <laughs> as always, by this laughing man. Uh, have traveling carnivals, how have they been affected by COVID? Oh, I mean, yeah. I guess they're outdoors, so it's not so bad. But man, I, I don't want to know about you know cleaning surfaces at traveling carnivals. No, so what I mean. not even in the good times over here. I don't want to hear about that. Yeah, I don't want to hear about that. Uh, I did go to a Six Flags in September, which was, uh, you know, seemed fine. I mean, most people were wearing masks. Uh, even outside, so it was all right. Uh, anyway, hello. My name is Noah Tarno. I am founder and senior quiz master of the Big Quiz Thing, the trivia game show spectacular. I am uh, speaking to you from uh, San Francisco, California. How many miles away are we from each other, Bill? Bill is in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Uh, that's a good question. I'm, I think I'm approximately— I'm very bad at estimating distances. Th- Let, wait, you you bullshit and I'll Google. Blah, Go blah, ahead. blah. Peas and carrots, peas and carrots, red leather, yellow leather. I yeah. think since I, yeah. I, I may be 1,300 miles away from New York, and so New York from San Francisco is probably another 1,500 or so. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm way underestimating that. Could be. Th- I'm terrible at estimating 3, that stuff. Miles. So currently— According to Google Maps, the dis- it's just showing me flights. I don't want fucking flights. Don't give me flights. No. Give me info. I want a walking, uh, a it, walking path over the Bering Strait. Walking path uh, over the Bering Strait. <laughs> the Bering Land Bridge. Uh, 5,448 miles. Mm-hmm. Just think of these electrons. So, are just like they're just zapping back and forth through the air. Right. right now. I, I, I would not walk that many miles and I would not walk 500 more just to be the man who walks 5,448 miles to show up at your door. Well, Noah, speaking of traveling oh. carnivals, our our topic yes. this week is uh, yeah, there is some relevance yeah, there, I guess. That was that was a long planned. Uh, uh, that was a long gestating yeah, yeah, transition. Just, to, every, everything is done for a reason, people. Uh, everything for a reason. So this this topic there there are no coincidences. There are no accidents. This topic is something that has been Sorry. in ether for a couple of years now. And I mean, I, granted, if we were somehow more on the stick, we would have done this in, in 19, perhaps even early 2020. Well, but the the new season just, yeah. just dropped, yeah. <laughs> as the kids say, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So I think this is reasonably it's pr- it's proved its permanence and it's proved that you know it's it's not just a sensation anymore it is also a sensation with legs. So that, that does give you, um, you know, we get to talk about it differently, which is and, nice. And that's and that's what they used to call me during my modeling career, a sensation with legs. legs. Yeah, I was the face, yeah. and you were the sensation with legs. That's what they. Yeah. Yes, I I had the looks, you had the brains, and we made lots of money. Our topic is the show Euphonia on HBO. Wait a second, Euphoria. It's Euphoria. Euphoria. Sorry. Euphoria. Yes. Euphoria. Yes. And the main character Rue is not Rue McClanahan, but I kept thinking about that. Uh-huh. She's Rue from uh, the uh, Hunger Games. That was her sister's name. Yeah, Rue from the Hunger Games. Yeah. Right, yes. So uh, uh, th- this is... Which, the, which I've now final. I finally read that book, and I saw that first movie. So I am now Hunger Games educated. Uh, if we had been doing the show 10 years ago, that would have been a great topic. Well, there's no Archers. There's no Panem. There's no Quarter... Uh, what is it? Quarter Quells. This is a TV show on HBO, which began in 2019. It, it is one of their hallowed Sunday night 9 p.m. anchors. Which we've all come to love. There's been more than a few topics in the show, by the way, has been that 9 p.m. Sunday anchor, uh, one form or another. Uh, this particular program, an hour-long drama, is uh, the brainchild of writer-director-producer Sam Levine, who is the son of director Barry. Barry, you Sam, were... 
Sam Levinson. Levine, yes. Sam, Sam, Le- Sam Levine was the guy on Freaks and Geeks. Sam Levine. Oh, that's true. I, I, you know what? I was getting yeah. two of those. Because I think Sam Levine was writing. He did some scripting for the Spider-Man movies, too. And maybe that's what I was... Did he? Yeah, he's... He... Somewhere, somewhere in the internet, there's a photo of me with Sam Levine. I met him once. That's cool. So, yeah, Sam Levinson, <laughs> son of director Barry Levinson. Barry Levinson, you will know, he directed Diner. He directed Rain Man. He directed uh, Toys. Yeah. Uh, a whole bunch of movies along the way. Sam, uh, Sam, I looked up Sam Levinson had a bit part in Toys. He acted in Toys. Yes, I did see that too. Yeah. And this was actually based on an Israeli drama, as, as some buzzy TV shows these days have been. Uh, the, the Tel Aviv to America pipeline has been uh, more and more traveled with shows like Homeland and uh, I think, uh, what is it, in, in, in Treatment. In Treatment on HBO is another one of those shows. Um, so this, I think the show was made in Israel about five years earlier. And the Israeli the creators are exactly the executive producers of this show. I don't think they had much to say in terms of content, but uh, their name is on it because they own it. So this show, Euphoria, as you probably well know, stars our epoch's buzziest actor, Zendaya. The, the single name Zendaya, uh, originally from Oakland in the Bay Area, uh, right down the road from Noah Tarno, uh, in a performance mm-hmm. for which she was awarded the Best Actress Emmy in 2020. Zendaya plays mm-hmm. Rue, as Noah alluded to before, a California teenager. Is this this is definitely I know it's shot in California, but it's definitely California, right, Noah? I it's mean, it's, su- visually, it's Southern California. It I was trying to figure out because there's a scene. So Bill and I <laughs> there's two seasons, but Bill and I both made it through the first five episodes. So if you're a euphoria nut, I'm sure we're missing stuff here. But there's a scene in one of those episodes where uh Rue and one of the other main characters, Jules, uh uh bicycle through an orange grove. So, yeah, you know, and that's, I, I know the Orange Grove. It's in Chinatown. It's been yeah, and it's like the alleys behind houses, you know, with the garages yeah, on each side. Like those are it, those are L.A. I, landmarks, right. I assumed know? it's just like an L.A. suburb, unnamed L.A. suburb. Yeah. Right yeah. Or all it's it's some gigantic uh, agglomeration of all of them. Um, so, yeah, she's a California teenager for whom the story starts in Medias rest after an overdose, coma and subsequent rehab before school starts up in the fall again. Uh, and the narrative bing boings between uh, flashbacks and present day to add context to even the smallest interactions, all in an attempt to put you in the headspace of a young person of Rue's generation. Uh, the show has been celebrated by some, vilified by others for the frank depiction of sex, drugs, and violence, which you can either deem as being gratuitous or an honest depiction, depending on where you fall in the culture comp. You guys already knew that. You, you saw that coming. And the most important thing to mention is that uh, like Noah has recently commented in a past episode, but certainly not the only time, uh, we're talking about this thing, but this is a sensation which is really seen by a haltingly small number of people. Um, just 500,000 viewers at its peak, and far fewer from that in the recent release season two, and yet it has this big cultural draft because just about everybody who has a voice in media are the people who, like those 500,000 people, all have blogs blue check Twitter accounts and they write for the New Yorker or all 500,000 yes, or something. They all write for the New Yorker. That's it. Yeah. Right. It's that's it. Anyway. So, um, yeah, I think that puts, uh, I'm really here interested in hearing what Noah's, uh, assessment of the couple episodes he watched. What is impressive. Yeah. So, you know, just to be clear, Rue's the main character, but it's, it's really an ensemble piece. They're, they're all like 16 or 17 and they live in, the, they're all middle-class by the way, which I think is relevant. You know, I, I was thinking of, some precedents like in the 80s there was the book less than zero which i read when i was like 13 and that blew my mind and then they made a crappy movie based on it and that was about you know dissolute life of california rich teens right very wealthy teens you know sex and drugs and then well they were they were college students but uh and then in the 90s there was larry clark's film kids which was about lower class teens in new york and that caused quite a stir because you know sex and drugs there uh, but these kids are definitely middle class. You know, they all live in at least comfortable homes. Parents are not seen very much, but, you know, there's every indication that these children are at least being supported. You know, they're fed, they're housed. You know, there's no subplot I've run into of the children being outright abused by their parents. So they got plenty of money for dope. You yeah, know? They're, they're very, cl- I mean, money is almost never spoken of. They're very middle class. So, you know, I I don't know. I mean, I read one thing that could play, compare it to Rebel Without a Cause, which kind of opened up this whole idea of dissolute life among, I mean, I guess those kids, I guess uh, those kids were middle class. I remember James Dean, uh, you, you remember who his dad was in um, Rebel Without a Jim Cause? Jim Backus. Jim Backus, Mr. Howell, Mr. Magoo, 
Oh, James Dean, you've done it again. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, that's where we are, and we see their lives. And, and I, I mean, you know, Rue has the drug overdose. They're all doing drugs. They're all sexually active. They're all very suffused in social media. I mean, this is set very much in the present day. So I watched four episodes, as I said. Uh, it definitely grew on me as I watched it. I do think I'm probably going to watch a little more. It is very well acted. Top to bottom, these kids, I mean, some of them are older, are excellent actors. Zendaya, I only knew her from the, let's say Star Wars, from the Spider-Man movies. She is a true talent. She's great. Uh, most of these other kids are really good. Um, uh, her best friend, Jules, is a, uh, uh, a trans girl uh, played by a trans woman actress named Hunter something. Uh, Schaefer. Hunter Schaefer, thank you. And I looked it up. She is, she's actually, I don't know if this is her first acting job, but she is main, she's actually a very well noted uh, LGBTQ activist. She's been written up as, you know, one of the 30 under 30, all those stupid lists uh, that make you feel bad about yourself. And um, she's quite good, you know, and, and so it's very well acted. It's well filmed. I mean, I want your perspective on this. I, I think it sort of has some music video techniques. The music's great. Uh, so I think it is very well shot and well edited. Uh, the characters are complex um, and great use of music. I mean, I I don't, I was saying to Bill, I don't like any of these people. I think they're all kind of pathetic assholes. You know, these kids are not particularly nice and they're all just sad. They're damaged. And like I said, they're not abused. So I'm not sure where the damage comes from for most of these kids. So I just look at it and say, these kids are assholes. No, I know life's tough, and, and I want to grant you grace, but, like, fuck it. Okay, fine. Rue's dad died of cancer when she was, like, 12. That's rough. But her mom doesn't seem to be a bad person. She's a fucking asshole about it. Like, I know drugs are hard, and, and they're, you know, I mean, I never got sucked into drugs, but, like, fucking just, like, live your life. Stop being a jerk. And this guy, Nate, played by Jacob Alordi, good actor, but, wow, he is the scum of the earth. And even Jules, like, so Jules's mom is gone for some reason. She was kind of crazy. But they say she loves her dad. She lives with her dad. And her dad certainly seems supportive of her, you know, transitioning and all that. But she's out there picking up men on the internet and letting them fuck her in hotel rooms. Like, like I'm sorry. I hate to sound like an old man, but, but get it together, you know? Like, I don't see living the life this way. I don't really see why you do this other than you just fucking suck. So that turned me off a little. I mean, their complex characters are interesting. I don't like them. Uh, I also think the tone of the show is a little inconsistent. There's like soap opera-y twists. The soap opera element is what I think kept me interested. Uh, but then there's some shallow interpersonal conflicts. There's some weird moments of surrealism that are interesting but feel out of place. Like the drug dealer who looks like a nine-year-old kid. Like, are we supposed to think he's a little kid or is he just... He kind of came off as an. I could see that. I could see that being in Oakland, you know. Right, but he came off as like a like a Benjamin Button kind of guy. I don't know. Um, and there are even a few moments of silly comedy. But my biggest takeaway from this show is that it depressed the fuck out of me. Um, you know, I don't like these people, and I've said it on the show before, and I say it a lot, and I think about it constantly. That one of the ways I get out of bed in the morning this day and age, one of the things that gives me hope is that I, from what I've seen, that generation, teens now and young adults, are way, way tougher than our generation, are way tougher than the boomers. You know, they never and, – and this show hits you right out of the gate with the hard shit. Like the first scene, they reference 9-11, these kids growing up with with active shooter drills, uh, you know, cyberbullying, um, you know, constant harassment. Like, these kids have been through the fucking gauntlet. And in life, my general takeaway is that, you know, they roll with it way better than we do. They've rolled with the pandemic way better than we do. I see that in my nephews, and I see that in their friends, but those kids are pretty privileged. So I look at these kids who seem to be somewhat privileged, and the fact that they are so awful and just jerks and detached. I mean, I know it's a TV show, but there's no mention of money. There's no mention of creeping fascism. There's no mention of environmental decay. I mean, I think these things are central to life. And even watching a TV show, and I know it's a TV show, but sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm really spitting out here. 
this is important. But here's why I couldn't put all that important stuff aside and just watch these interpersonal conflicts is I could do that with Ted Lasso because Ted Lasso was pretty much a comedy, you know, so it, it, it wasn't rooted in the real world so much. Uh, lately, my favorite show is Ozark. I watched the, I love Ozark on Netflix. It just dropped the first seven episodes of the fourth season. Love it. And Ozark is dark and dark, but it's so dark. It's detached from reality in a bit that I don't feel like, oh, they're not talking about Donald Trump. So, you know, I'm not interested, but euphoria feels real enough. And the stuff I've read, there's a great uh, article that I'm going to reference later in Vogue from a teenager from Oakland. And he gives it a review and he says it's very true to life. So if this is true to life and there's no cognizance of what matters in the world and it's just assholes like, you know, winding the clock down until, you know, apocalypse, uh, it's a bit of a bring down. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it's a well-made show, but it's it's not filling me. It, it's kind of it's kind of not what I need to be watching right now. So I guess I'm going to watch more, but only because I'm a glutton for punishment. I don't think you're wrong in any of those assessments. That I read them completely differently. In that, um, it took me an epi- it took me an episode or so. Yeah, I, I took me of seeing. Uh, okay, so she gets her taste of I think they said liquid Valium for Rue begets uh, oxys from her deathbed dad as they have him in hospice care. Uh, begets uh Benny's benzos and, and and things like that at school and and molly and whatnot and so her her habit and her hunger for for um you know ketamine or whatever it is for, for whatever it is that takes her somewhere else so dulling the pain for anesthetizing her becomes bigger and bigger until she finally has this um overdose that puts her in a coma and her her little sister played by storm reed who's also an actor has been in a bunch of bunch of she's upcoming herself um you know and it's like okay I understand the dad is the dad uh, uh, is vanished. He's not there anymore, and it's like that's kind of a, a blank space, uh, not omitted. I think it's I think it's it's telling by deletion. It, it it puts like a cavity or a missing tooth. It says something by it not being there. Um, and likewise, when they went over to Cass's house, and Cass's mom is played by Alana Ubach. She's great. But again, like the surrealism, like her character seems kind of surreal to me. Weird. She's like this cougary kind of alcoholic well, mom. I love the fact that she always has that little bit of, um, what is it, the mascara is a little yeah. drippy on her eye, and she's slurring her words a little yeah. bit. She's sort of padding around the house barefoot with this gigantic mug of Chardonnay, you know, and it, it's like, oh, and then you go down the line for each of these kids' parents, and they have there's different levels of fecklessness and different exhibitions of fecklessness among the, among the parents. And it's like, again, that's not the text. That's the subtext. But I realized that... Um, what really, I think it was by the middle of season, uh, episode two, I'm like, oh my God, I love this show. Really? Because you love this of, show? Specifically, I love this show, specifically because of what it's saying. It's like, um, I, had to, I had to run downstairs. I, I, uh, I, paused my, I paused my HBO Max account. I ran downstairs. I need to talk to my wife, who herself is an essayist on the lives of young kids. It's like, this, this sort of, it's like her whole, that, this is her, her suzerain as a, as a writer, is writing about people like this and really trying to get into the headspace of how it's changed since she started writing books. And I'm like, I think I have a handle on what this is supposed to be. I mean, granted, there's different um, reads on what it is, but it's like, I think that this show certainly is about grief, among other yeah. things. But it's, it's it's this idea that what, and it, I mean, you're right, it starts off with the towers falling. That is almost like, bang, she was saying she was she was in the hospital. She was they born, she was born like two days after 9-11, she says. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Something exactly. like that. Three, so parent, less than a week. The, yeah. But it's like, there is this v- a vacuum in the show uh, that Levine Levinson, I don't want to keep calling him Levine. Le- Levinson himself is essaying, and you know, th- we didn't mention this, but Sam Levinson had uh, a lot of depression. A lot. I don't know if he was institutionalized or he was definitely. In he, he said, he yeah, he said he had problems. a drug problem. Yeah, as a teenager. And he's thirty-seven years old now, but he this. So he's he's talking about things that he knows. You know, he's been through these steps. He's he just wasn't a girl when he was doing it, but he had an, and he had all the power in the world of a guy like Barry Levinson to help get out of it, which is why he's able to fuck around piss his life away and then get back into Hollywood uh, as he's approaching 40 and create this buzzy show. But I mean, there's there's a very knowing quality here that these kids are all growing up in a complete uh, ni- of an, an, an environment of nihilism. You know, what, what this show isn't saying, Noah, is exactly what you said. There is no mention of 
climate change. There is no mention of fascism. There is no mention of the end of nations and an end of democracy. And I think that all that stuff is baked in. You just have to look under the surface and say there's a screaming vacuum of nihilism where their, their parents, who are our age thereabouts, uh, our age to a little older. So these kids are supposed to be our sons and daughters, generally. I and mean, then the actors are too old for that, but the characters are yeah. the right age. I actually just looked up this woman. You said Alana Ubach. She's the same age as us. She's born she's, the same year Yeah, as she's us. the same age. Yeah. born 75, yeah. yeah. And it's like the parents are all disconnected because they're the ones who inherited this fucked up world from the boomers. And they, you know, the dad, all the dad wants to do, the Eric Dane character, um, well, I forget what his last name is, the, the alpha male Jacobs. So he's the, Cal Jacobs is the character's yeah. name. Right. Yeah. And so he, he's this driven capitalist, this, this you know, brawny, uh, broad-chested white man who just encourages uh, this, this killer instinct, this zero-sum instinct in his children. And the son has no idea what to do with it other than to emulate it without realizing what he's doing. And it's like all the parents have different levels of engagement, but the one thing that all these kids have is no future, no hope. Mm-hmm. Even if they're not, they're not. It's it's not that they lack material, you know, possessions or comfort. It's the fact that there is no future. The world has been chipped away at it, and these kids are all inside of a. a I mean, I could certainly say a post-Trump vacuum, even though it never addresses it. This show is soaking. It's absolutely soaking. Yeah in nihilism and pessimism and it's like and you know what we have wondered for a long time yes like you say the cameron caskies of the world there is a class of younger person that is super motivated and more buoyant than shit way braver and more sturdy than i could ever imagine but then i think there are just as many kids who are the ones out there getting zonked who are the ones out there right. taking checking out of the game and it's like why would they do so it's because they honestly don't see a future they see the fact that the, it's fires it's droughts it's riots it's hate and it's like, I can't blame anybody. And this show, if anything, if you know, this show is, is it says a lot about, it says in, in precise words what's on its mind. But one thing it does not say, it doesn't address this. It leaves it off to the margins. But I mean, I have no doubt that Levinson intends that to be mm-hmm. there. That is almost the entire firmament of this TV show. That's a fair point. I mean, I, I agree. Obviously, I agree. But you see what I'm saying? Like, that's what depresses me is that, yeah, you know oh, the, the way that gets out of me. The, what I say, the way I get out of bed in the morning is we're, we're leaving this 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 shitbox world to these kids, but they got a shot because they're tough and smart. But here are the kids who aren't tough and smart, and what's going to happen to them? Are they, you know, right now the problem? Look, I think we can solve our problems as a society. The problem is that the maniacs won't let us. And I keep saying, if we can outlive the maniacs, I think things actually will get better. But the question is, we can outlive the maniacs. That was, I mean, honestly, that was the craziest shit I've ever experienced. What was it? The fucking dude with the long hair and the fucking gun? What was his deal? I've heard that a couple teenagers are really into this. You know, word got passed to me. Oh, my kid loves this show, Euphoria. And obviously it's, you know, even though it's not, wasn't central to our world, it's a hit. So why? Why is this popular? Well, I think it's, first of all, it is sensational. Zendaya is a big eye catch. You can't. Really, you know, the fact that both Dune and Spider-Man have made uh, the whole marketing program about Zendaya. You know, and it, part of it is the fact that, like you said, famous sells things. And right now there's very few more famous things than Zendaya. So she she is proof at the moment right now that there is lightning in a box. Is it, is it Zendaya or Zendaya? You've said both. That's a good question. You're right, I have it. I'm going to say we'll, we'll codify it. Our style it's, book will be Zendaya it's, from it's, now on. It's Zenyatta Mandata, my favorite police album. <laughs> I love a, that album. That's a good fucking... Have you listened to that album recently? It's a great it's album. A great yeah, of album. Of course I have, yes. Great all record. the time. So there's part, of, there's part of the Zendaya thing, but I think also let's, you know, let's not... Uh, I mean, we are talking about it's a boiling pot each episode. You never know which tinderbox is going to explode from week to week. Uh, I mean, there's copious amounts of, of flapping penises and s- to some degree fa- bare breasts and s- certainly sex, if not female body, certainly more penises. Yeah. Way more I don't penises. think we've seen one vagina, but we see many penises. No. And a ha- we see Couple more penises moves. than breasts, which I find interesting. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it's, which and is, it's you know, Zendaya. It's Zendaya. Zendaya. There's a, there's a show on HBO right now called uh, Gemstones, the, the Righteous Gemstones, which is a comedy by... Um, Danny McBride and his rule is they are they are taking you know because like for instance Game of Thrones was about here let's watch a woman have sex while they shoot a crossbow at her as she's raped like that was Game of Thrones it was sensationalism and violence and it's like there are a couple of shows where they are taking the opportunity to do something different where they are not 
just gratuitous. Again, there's a lot of sex, but it's not the female body that's being thrown out there on the funeral pyre. Um, so, you know, the thing is, people are doing coke right off the end of a house key. Uh, you know, there's, there's that kind of real, like, you know, saucy type uh, gratuitous, not gratuitousness. Sa- saucy. Saucy. A very yeah. modern show uh, about teenagers is saucy. It's ribaldry. It's, it's ribald. So, ribald. So I, I think the more important part of this for me is that this attempts to make sense of how younger people express themselves through sex and drugs and social media in a way that other older generations don't necessarily see natively. And I'm not really sure how Levinson... I don't know how he gets that per se, because I, I mean, I, I, I'm trusting this show to tell me something that other things aren't in, in the way in which it's telling it to me. But I think that the people who are in charge of tone, uh, for instance, the, the person who um, directed the pilot is this woman, Augustine Frizzell, and she's, you know, experienced director. And it's like they were really smart to have a female director with the female gaze on her camera showing you this world that is going to be a trip into hell. And it keeps up the look, the visual look. And again, the gaze of the camera as it shows you breasts and it shows you penises, it's pulling back. I mean, it's maybe it's hard to not be titillated by secondary sex characteristics and primary sex characteristics and people. But it's like things aren't necessarily romantic. Things aren't necessarily sexy if you're watching sex. No, it's not. I mean, is there any romantic sex scene we've seen so far? Uh, and this one, no, it's I mean, they, they, they bordered on violence. They bordered yeah. on transgression until they were I mean, shut off, you know, which which makes sense. Part of the know? reason I'm watching but is I, I, I want to see some romance like Cat, um, that girl Cat and the boy in her biology class. Like I'm rooting for them just because I want to see some romance, you know. Yeah, I, I like how she said you have when you get you're giving off shooter vibes. Yeah. Was that what she you're said? You're giving a, <laughs> as really... soon as he sits down next to her, she's he's a new student. He introduces himself. She says, please don't be a mass shooter. He said, am I giving off shooter? Yeah. But they end up. I don't know. I mean, again, we're five. Ep- we're four episodes in and yeah. there's a season and a half. So it could go anywhere. Yeah, we don't know. End. We don't know. What anyway, happens. so but what, what what do you make of it? What is the beyond besides, besides just the simple bit of sensation? Well, what do you yeah, it's it? saucy and ribald for sure. Uh, you know, it's cool and it's appealing. These are beautiful people. I mean, all these kids are attractive. They are beautiful uh, I mean, people. even the ones yeah. in Ravages of Drug Abuse, that's another issue we'll get up to. They are gorgeous. They have nice bodies. I mean, not everyone's my type, but, you know, they're all, they're all what society loves. Um, I found an interesting article in Vogue about how, you know, I didn't really notice it until the Vogue thing brought it up, but... There's very clever. A lot of these characters, the girls, female, obviously use uh, interesting makeup techniques, and that's caught on in the makeup world. And there was a there was a fashion show about euphoria style makeup, and companies are kind of anticipating that. So, in people who care about the makeup world, this is this is quite the influential sensation at the moment. Um, you know, it's well done. I, I I did find myself getting sucked into the soapy elements. I, I found, as I said, you know, the music and the the lighting and the filming and the editing were all original and fresh and engaging and, and impressive. So, you know, this has the, it's well done element. Um, and you know, look, since time immemorial, or at least since, you know, teen culture emerged in the fifties, uh, teens always want to feel more mature and want to see something that, you know, is, even if it's vicarious, I hope it's vicarious, you know, they want to see teens having sex and doing drugs and having adventures and, you know, things like that. So I... I, I and having it seem larger than life. Yeah, you know? large, like, larger yeah, than life, yeah. right. Um, and I think it is, you know, I was reminded of a topic we did last summer, that movie Zola, uh, because I thought, and maybe I can't really put my finger on it. I feel like maybe another thing we've looked at, I said this about, but it's a very modern show in that, it is, you know, 2019, so it's not about the pandemic. I mean, I think most TV shows are going to have to skip that, obviously. I mean, I'm sure there'll be movies set in the pandemic in the future. But um, it, it, it speaks in the current language in that there's a lot of diversity that is not really spoken of, right? I mean, you know, interracial couple where that is never even brought up as an issue and you know, Rue is biracial and that's never brought up as an issue. And, and, you know, the trans character, the trans thing is not made a big deal of, at least mostly, you know, there's a lot of texting and you see the texting on the screen. There's a lot of engagement, with social media, there's a lot of engagement with, you know, performative sexuality. You know, I'm having sex so that people know I have sex. Uh, the girl who becomes a cam model, you know, shaking it on camera. So guys, I'll pay her. Right. 
uh, you know, is very keyed into modern technology and how teens really live their lives via modern technology. So it feels very current and of the moment and has a keen understanding of the language that teens speak and the way they live and the way they express themselves. So, you know, I, it's kind of a no-brainer that this thing's a hit. Um, and it's also kind of a no-brainer that, uh, you know, there's a backlash. Wait, did you not wash your hands? What the fuck are you talking about, man? I can't believe you took a shit out of party and you didn't wash your hands. Yo, what's up? My name's Travis. Noah, would you have liked this when you were living this very same kind yes. of life yourself as a kid? Uh, I think I would have. I think I really would have liked... I would have appreciated what's quality about it, and I would have liked the vicarious... Ele- like, I like to think kids are watching this and enjoying the dissolute lifestyle vicariously. That would have been me. Like, in high school, I started getting into classic punk rock, but, you know, I never got a tattoo. I never had spiky hair. You know, I I, I never did drugs. I mean, I didn't... I, only a legal drug I've ever done other than, you know, drinking early was marijuana, and I didn't even... I didn't do that when I was a teen. So, um... I liked this stuff vicariously. So I think I'd be watching this and enjoying this, but I don't think it would be pushing me to, I mean, damn, I, I would have wanted to have anonymous sex, but, you know, I don't think this would have gotten me there. And I definitely wouldn't have pushed me to have drugs. Have drugs. That's a good one. Do drugs. Wouldn't have pushed me to eat <laughs> drugs, Bill. To, to smoke drug cigarettes? To smoke, yeah. to smoke the pot. Yeah. Uh, you know, I... Yeah, much like you. I, too, didn't drink to excess. I didn't do drugs. I didn't have relations with the opposite sex. Relations. Relations. As you How know. How saucy you are having relations with the fairer sex. I didn't, keep a, uh, I didn't keep a handkerchief up my sleeve and dab my brow with it when yes. I got sweaty, you know, uh, among all this frippery. But, I mean, this this show, I mean, I, it's hard one of the things I thought about, I should say, when we talked about doing this in the abstract is, well, this is going to be filthy and prurient entertainment. And to some degree, it is. It can. It's not certainly only that, but that's part of the point is that it is kind of filthy and prurient entertainment. And it's like I loved, Teenage Bill loved filthy and prurient entertainment. I mean, you know, Scrambled Cable and Shannon Tweed movies and stuff Shannon like this. It's like that's all... The whole point of this stuff was for, for you know, for to, to get the, the, you know, the boobies and the sex, the sex delivery right. methods. But it was so rare when we were kids. Now kids can dial up boobies 24-7, which cannot be good. Well, I know, but, but I mean, this, this does it in, you know, in a way that, you know, it's, it, it skeins it with, uh, you know, with boobies and with drama and all those things. I don't think I would have punched into the whole idea you know, I had no no relationship to kids who were having sex and doing drugs and falling between the margins necessarily in the way they show this. So, you know, people would look at this as almost like anti-hero story. It's like, yeah, this is telling our story of a marginalized generation of young people who are being left, to, you know, fed to the wolves. Um, it would have been, in other words, it probably pure escapist entertainment. I would have watched this the same way as I watched John John Hughes movies. It just it was the sad obverse to John Hughes movies and not necessarily like the fun... I'm going to do this. I wish I could do those same things someday. I wish I could drive around Ferris Bueller's uh, the, the the red Porsche or whatever with, with Cameron and uh, uh, Sloan. You know, it's like, no, none of those things were aspirational, but they were just fun th- adventures to watch along the way. And this would have been not a fun adventure, but it certainly is larger than life. And it has all the things that Teenage Bill would have punched into without that darker side. Of course, you know what? To be honest, that darker side didn't exist for us in 1991, I mean, it was a much different world when we were the age at these, or I should, yeah, 91, 92. When, these ki- when we were these kids' ages, we had a much different society and what it meant to be so dispossessed, what it meant to feel left behind seems now like small ball. It, it seems like AAA baseball compared to what these kids have to deal with in terms of what the future's coming. So, I mean, it's, it's out of scale. You know, the, the looking at this with, with younger eyes that Bill Scurry had is, is out of scale to what it looks like as an, as an adult, you know? Is euphoria, the popularity of euphoria, the existence of euphoria, the feeling of euphoria, uh, are any of those things signs of the apocalypse i feel you know i feel like it may well be um <laughs> i think this is being viewed by a nihilist audience to be honest uh, who so, all right, 
I'm saying some people. Well, okay, but again, I think I would have been into it. It would have been vicarious for me. Right, right. Oh, yeah, definitely. But I mean, there's also you're dealing with a recalcitrant audience audience base. In many cases, they're incapable of reading a multi-tiered message. You know, where I do think that, the, for instance, the people who were getting um, was it Dare? That was yep. just a news story that came out yep. recently that Dare was yeah. accusing this of glamorizing yep. drugs, and it's yep. like. I don't think it's accused. This is not glamorizing drugs, but hey, I'm not going to tell Dare their job. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I will. Dare sucks, but continue. That's kind of the point. Yeah, and it's like, you know, you could see this show as a validation. Actually, I think rightly so. This is a validation of the modern emptiness to which these young people rightly feel. Uh, you know, because there's, there's only inside this narrative, and I think you've already said this, right, there's only small little pockets kernels of hope tucked in here and there in the story but not it's not that's not the note that's not the message of this story it is something much darker and much more uh, apocalyptic and and you know there's very little that's triumphal about what you're seeing so far it may change in season two um so i mean it may in fact be a sign of the apocalypse in that you have this audience who are looking for a vast emptiness to be displayed they're not getting it from other forms of t- TV shows and media, but they are kind of get it from this. This, this, so far as I know in my my viewing diet, other than the fact that TikTok doesn't mean anything, other than the fact that a lot of YouTube doesn't mean anything, a lot of the fact that you know social media is 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 you know fleas and scabies and and, and lice <laughs> boring into your skin. There's not a lot out there to speak to you in terms of that tells you something you want to know about the world. Right. But this may be one of those few things that actually does say something about the world. You don't think this glamorizes drug abuse? Um, I'm, Not at all. Not okay, at all. I'm going to counter that. So you, you mentioned Dare. Dare had a very vociferous quote. Uh, you know, this show's terrible, misguidedly glorifies, and erroneously depicts high school drug use, addiction, anonymous sex violence, and other destructive behaviors as common and widespread. Uh, Dare sucks. There are studies that... Um, Kids who went through the D.A.R.E. program are more likely to do drugs. D.A.R.E. used to rip off and blackmail high schools. Fuck D.A.R.E. Just Say No was a dumb slogan. Yeah. Uh, fuck them. Yep. Fuck Nancy Reagan. Fuck them. However, that doesn't mean they aren't on to something. And I, I want to read a, a quote here. Uh, this is from an, an article in Vogue by a young man named Samuel Getachew. He's also from Oakland, and he is currently a freshman at Yale. And um, he writes... My criticism of euphoria is not that it's inaccurate. On the contrary, I find it horrifyingly on target. My criticism lies in the way it aestheticizes the traumas it depicts, an aestheticization that my generation is particularly vulnerable to. The characters dance through morally and legally dubious scenarios to a theatrical soundtrack and emerge mostly unscathed and always flawlessly groomed, episode after episode. While it may have been intended to serve as a warning, Euphoria often feels more like an instructional tutorial. And I got to tell you, Bill, I agree. Like, yes, Rue was in rehab. Rue and her mom are screaming at each other, breaking, you know, glass picture frames and threatening each other with shards of glass. But Rue is still cute. Rue is still not in jail. Rue is still biking around beautiful Southern California. Uh, These kids are pathetic. But I think a lot of what I see as pathetic is through the the prism of a grown-up. So I I do think this show, from what I could tell, and I am no expert on on childhood development or whatever, I think this does teach unfortunate lessons. I mean, a lot of things in media do, and and that can be easily countered by good education and good parenting, you know, uh, which is why I would, you know, if I had watched it, I don't think it would have made me do drugs because I had good parenting and, and okay education. Um, yeah, I mean, there's also the apocalyptic thing I mentioned before. If this is real, as Samuel Getachew says, uh, that generation will not save us because the kids are just going to be looking at their fucking phones and at best hashtagging, you know, stop fascism. Zonked, zonked right, out on Molly. Right. And yeah, the exactly. Family. You know, it'll be up to my nephews and their friends to save the world and they're going to need more help than that. Uh, and then here's a subtle thing that bothered me and I might be way off base here. So I said the show really speaks in the language of modern diversity and you know, there's no not even a mention of interracial dating, not even a problem with that. Uh, you know, there's there's an issue that Rue is in love with Jules even though Jules views her as her best friend. Rue is clearly in love with Jules. It's not a problem that Rue likes a girl or a trans girl. It's just a problem that they're friends, you know? All these things are unspoken parts of their world. 
And, you know, good. But I have recently come around to an opinion that kind of disturbs me. And maybe I'm way off. Maybe this is not something to worry about. I think part of the reason people are willing to enable terrible actors, I think part of the reason there's a backlash to the racial reckoning our culture is having is because a lot of people look at themselves and look at their lives and say, I'm not racist. I actually have black friends. My daughter dated a black guy, and I I honestly had no problem with that. And they look at their small world where, you know, the races are at harmony with each other, at least from their point of view. I mean, I'm sure under the surface there's a lot more going on. They look at their small point of view world where where this isn't a problem, and they think the people who are saying it's a problem, well, that black guy was killed, the police must have done something wrong. Because, you know, I never hear my black yeah, friends. That, does, that doesn't happen in my right, household. Exactly. My exactly. Line, yeah. I genuinely am not racist. And I will accept that. But I've said this a lot. All the people who voted for Donald Trump, they weren't all racist, but they enabled racism. And I think that's a problem. I think people are going to say, this this is terrible. You're, you're making everyone feel bad. You're rocking the boat for a problem that isn't as bad as you say, because in my little bubble, it doesn't look that bad. And I think an argument can be made that this show is pushing that argument too. You know, people used to say in the 80s that the Cosby show was bad for race relations because it, it white people are like, oh, look, black people are doing great. You know, they're doctors, they're good parents, they're living in nice houses, you know? So it's not really a problem. And I think a lot of people could look at something like Euphoria and see how the problems have nothing to do with, with racial or, or you know, sexual orientations mixing and, and cohabitating and think that this reckoning is just stupid and bad and we need to say no to it. I just felt like we were in two different places or something. What was it specifically that made you feel like that? It wasn't anything specific, it was just a feeling. No, let's bring it on home with the topic of jealousy. How does this project or anyone associated with it <laughs> feel inside? You know, I'm not jealous of the kids. I don't wish I was like them when I was a teenager other than, you know, having had sex more than once when I was in high school. Uh, you know, I think I would have enjoyed that, but I don't want to live these kids' lives. I'm thankful every day that social media didn't exist when I was a teen. And I'm jealous of Sam Levinson. Like you said, like, fine, he did the work. He's a talented guy, but he had a thousand opportunities because, you know, dad and all his dad's friends were, were in the business. So, you know, uh, the doors were kicked open, wide open. And if that had been the case for me, i I'd probably be an actor now, but I'm not because I didn't want to, I, I, I didn't know how to get myself, you know, attention for someone who, who did not have those connections. So yeah, sure. I'm jealous of him. Why not? Yeah. I can't uh, go much further than that too. I, I think I, I don't want to overwhelm the, the product because I did love this show quite a bit. Uh, but the thing is that every time I see a legacy uh, situation like this, where it's the child of some gigantic power player, who, whose dad is as old as my dad would be and someone who's part of our cohort, I can't help but think it's like, Jesus, I, it doesn't matter how good you are. You yeah. just, there's advantages. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be in the business. It's just that there is advantages you enjoy because your fucking dad made Rain Man that the, that the rest of us aren't going to enjoy. you know. And it's like, look, it's, 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 Levinson got to... Again, he fell through the margins, to, to use something I said earlier. He was in rehab for a while. He fucked around. It's like he had all these things. And it's like... You know, I think most people that would set them back, and they'd be lucky if they were selling aluminum siding, <laughs> much less much less creating shows for TV. But I mean, again, the the beauty of having a powerful father in this industry, and again, it's not like Barry Levinson go around open doors because it's like his career is sort of moribund than it has been for he's he's working, yeah, but but, he's not but, but you know, like you know, I mean, I know different for you but i think of all my dad's buddies who would do a favor for me because they're like my uncles and if those guys yeah. are like yeah, agents exactly. or producers you know i mean they're not for me but they probably were for sam levinson so yeah yeah no it's true um so it's it's hard to leave that behind and i mean whatever i as i sit here and i tell no off the microphone on this show it's like i could feel that way about ivan reitman's kids i could feel that way about uh Lawrence Kasdan's kids and anybody who pretty much is like hell the actress uh, what is it Andy McDowell's daughter who was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and you know there's just you go down the line there is so many legacy cases and some of them you know some of them work some of them yeah. don't but it's always like well I don't think you earned it but how who am I to say you know don't listen to me but you know by the way we didn't mention that at least this thus far still a very minor character 
uh, is this character Lexi, who's played by Maud Apatow, who is the daughter of Judd Apatow and... And has been in a ton of movies uh, and, already, mostly Apatow movies. Yeah, and yeah. Leslie Mann, who uh, just has got to be in my top five most crushed actresses. I just... I, I think she's gorgeous and a, and a great actress, and I wish she did more. Anyway, so to know that she has a daughter who's, like, of sexual age just depresses me even further. So there you go. Well, hey, this is 40. It was 10 years ago. So those actors now are— Yeah, I 50, guess. Right? I guess. How old is Leslie? So I, keep talking. I'm going to look up Leslie Mann now, and see how old she is. Well, I tell you, Rudd is 53, I think. So put that in your post. Who's, who's 53? Rudd. Rudd, who was the co-star Rudd, of okay. um, Paul Rudd. Uh, yeah. Didn't they determine, uh, like, isn't he now older than Wilford Brimley was in Cocoon, something like that? Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. That is correct, if you can believe it. It's fucked up, Leslie right? Mann will turn 50 in March. Right. Yeah. All right, so tell me about the Felonian scale. Yeah. Where does this fall on the X, XYZ axis of things we looked at? All right, at? so, you know, it's similar to a lot of things we looked at, things we talked about, about, teen, you know, this is, the, this is the remit of our show to talk about what the young people are into. So here's what I came up with. I mentioned Zola before, which I thought was a very well done movie. Uh, take Zola, subtract 13 Reasons Why. Remember that show? I certainly it's do. about teens and suicide, but felt a lot more artificial than this. Then you take that, you divide it by Ginny and Georgia, which was about biracial mothers and daughters connecting, but a little sillier, a comedy. And then you add Cuties, that movie that very controversial yeah. because yeah, uh, it seemed to glamorize you know, younger than these kids' uh, prepubescent sex. So there you go. Zola minus 13 reasons why divided by Ginny and Georgia plus Cuties equals Euphoria. Took, Euphoria. Took, yeah. you, took me a second to remember the name of the show. Euph- Euphoria. Euphonia. Yeah. You, 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 uh, you rhythmics. <laughs> uh, I like this quite a bit. I, I don't have a, I don't have a big quadratic equation chain like, like you did, but I mean, I certainly am very willing to put this up to the top. I feel differently about this because maybe it's the mood I was in. Maybe it's the fact that I don't watch a ton of episodic TV. Um, it, it, not just that the fact that it felt cinematic. But it felt cinematic over the course of eight episodes. By the way, I'm really glad that this... We're not talking about a 13-episode build. That this is eight episodes. And I assume it's going to be a packed, dense eight. Um, I hate when a TV show overstays its welcome. Recently, I was thinking about something we talked about that was really sweet. We mentioned Lasso. And I thought Lasso... It was really hard to object about anything in Lasso because it seemed to do its work so well. And it's, and it's weird because this is like a dim mirror universe image of Ted Lasso in terms of it depresses you. It, it wears you out. It dares you to go forward. And yet there's something really compelling. And I think that darkness really drew me into it more than the lightness uh, got me to go with Ted Lasso. Because with Lasso, I watched the first season. I have the second season, but I never went forward with it. Um, there was just something not compelling about seeing what sweet things, even if it's a little pickled or brined in the second season, I kind of know what I was going to get. And yet there's a different ride altogether that I was going to get with this. You know, this felt even more like Black Mirror uh, in some ways. Oh, you know, wow. The Black, the Black Mirror is all over the place. You know, yeah. the little, the little Well, screen, it's an anthology. The yeah. That, uh, yeah, the, the anthology thing. But the idea of the screen augurs doom. And for people who are checking on the messages, every time you hear the phone blink and beep and boop in somebody's pocket, it's bad news for somebody else. <laughs> if there's anything, is there anything more Black Mirror than that? I don't, I don't even know. But it... You know, there's something really compelling about this, and and I appreciate. I think you mentioned the idea that the camera moves in really complex ways, yeah. and very Scorsesean yeah. type tracking. There, there is, that's, that's there end. is that fourth yeah. episode we watched takes place mostly at a carnival, and it when you first introduce the carnival, there's this long tracking shot weaving around Beautiful. all the people. Beautiful. You see a lot of the main characters; they're basically on the phone to each other, mostly trying to find each other. Very well done. Very well done. So are you going to keep watching this? I'm curious. I would like to. It's not a matter of interest because I just have, I'm working on video projects. Right. And I put my effort into watching features. And so to watch one or two movies a day kind of obviates being able to watch a bunch of TV shows. Right. Uh, again, that's no, that's, that is my attention span and that's my, my, uh, where I put the effort is, 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 is into eating films. Eating films. Yeah, that's just my thing. See, I think I might eating keep films. watching because I, I mentioned Ozark before. I, Fucking love that show, and I devoured uh, the this part one, season four, seven episodes came out a week ago yesterday, and I finished it. I think Wednesday. So I kind of, you know, you have that itch when you finish something you really liked. You need something else, even if it's not as good. 
And, uh, you know, I'll at least go through a few more episodes. I mean, it is entertaining, but uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe for my mental well-being, I need to stay off something so depressing. You may need to yeah, take a break. Well, this, after, okay, this anyway. afternoon, no, let me say this. This is interesting. This afternoon, I am judging, for the first time, an online high school debate tournament. And I'm hoping that balances out euphoria when I actually listen to smart, thoughtful, intelligent teenagers, right? Who presumably will not be high as they do this. So I'm hoping that balances out my my faith in Pres- the new generation. Presumably. Yeah, presumably. Well, we will see. Well, if you'd like to find past episodes of our show, look on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Me and Noah have to have a discussion about whether or not we're going to continue with Spotify, by the way. If you've been mm. following the news, this mm. is all the rage of this weekend. Mm. Uh, we're going to do, do, should we be a bunch of Joni Mitchells, Noah, or should we take the few scant listeners that we get from Spotify? Like we, we have, we have to figure out a way of uh, you know, what we're going to do. Jo- join in the anti-Joe Rogan thing or, or not, you know, but how do we hurt big Spotify? Is the yeah. Cause you know, they really count on us. That's really important. Yeah, the, the the I I don't get it. Just get the, we're going to move the needle. Yeah, exactly. If it wasn't Neil Young, well, it, yes. we're the Neil Young top, and really I don't get up. it are the hottest uh, hottest <laughs> acts on Spotify. Sure. Uh, tweet to us at No One Bill Show. Write to us No One Bill Don't Get It at gmail.com. Give us a review on the aggregators. Uh, don't don't worry about Spotify for the minute. Just work on Apple Podcasts <laughs> and SoundCloud. And seriously, and come on. If you like the show, and I know many of you do, thank you. Uh, give us a review on iTunes. It really helps people find the show. It really helps boost up our ego in this terrible time for my, my fragile ego. Uh, so, yeah, just give us a review on spot on, on iTunes, hopefully five stars, and tell us why you like the show and, uh, you know, say hello. And, uh, you know, Bill, we should probably read. If someone gives a real good review, we should probably read it on the air. The air. Yeah. Or whatever. Uh, yeah, so... The little red, you, get, you get the little red light over your door. Right. So if you do... <laughs> If you do leave a great review, uh, let us know and harass us and ask us to read it, and we will read it. If you don't ask us to read it, we might read it. Uh, it just it has to occur to us. So there you go. So I will continue doing my rhetoric and my rhapsodizing on Twitter, at William Scurry, uh, and my video content is on YouTube, youtube.com slash amcaesar. And Noah, Noah will uh, say something like <laughs> yes so i i i run an actual business the big quiz thing bigquizthing.com uh america's finest providers of corporate and private trivia events virtual and in person we're, we are creeping back we were supposed to do bill an in-person event tonight in new york uh and then the snowstorm uh put it off till next ah, week so it's so stupid stupid bomb cyclone it's always something in this day and age uh so learn about it bigquizthing.com we make trivia fun for everyone. Well, until the next rousing episode of Teenagers in Peril, we, we don't, don't get, get it. it. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2022.